Welcome to the Grace Baptist Church podcast for Sunday, April 17th, 2022. Today's sermon will be from Ephesians chapter 1, verses 16 to 23. If you'd like to follow along, please go to gracebaptistchurchnc.org, click the current sermons link at the top, and click today's manuscript. Welcome to Grace Baptist Church. If you will, this morning, we're going we're gonna to divert from Hebrews, and we'll be back there in the coming days as we work our way through Hebrews. Um, but if you were, would today, <clears throat> turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter, as you're turning there, um, I'm going to pray in a moment, um, but I, I just, Tommy and I were talking this morning, just want to just share something that I probably never shared from the pulpit before, and some of you maybe have thought the same kinds of things, but I don't know if you notice when the days start getting a little bit longer, the birds sing a lot more, um, and so just even this morning, I always think of, I don't, put together Easter morning and the birds singing, but I believe that they're singing, Jesus is risen. And that's just what they do. And they sing. And so I just sit, was sitting there this morning in my chair listening to them before I even got light, just thinking that's what they're doing. Even though all of creation is groaning for that day of redemption one day, but they are singing. God made them to praise Him and, and to bring glory to Him. So when you think of the birds singing, just, just know they're, they're waiting for that day and, they, and they're just singing, Jesus, Jesus is risen. This morning I want to preach a sermon on the resurrection and I actually preached it years ago. And uh, I'm taking it from Ephesians chapter 1 really because one of the prayers that that I often pray, and the elders can, can, can verify this as we do for you guys when we meet every other week. But one of the things that, that I pray and that we pray comes from Ephesians chapter 1. Paul prays that they might, the people of Ephesus there, those Christians, they might know what is their hope. And then he prays that they might know what is their inheritance. And then he prays that they might know what is the great power that works in them. And then he said that's the same power that rose Jesus from the dead. And so this morning I want to show that the resurrection is the key to our hope. That's truth number one. Truth number two, the resurrection is, is the key to our inheritance in heaven. And then finally, it is the resurrection of Christ is the key to God's power to save us and fulfill His promise. Um, Let me read verses 16 to 23, and then I'll pray, and then we'll get started. Let's, Let's actually go back to verse 15. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints... Here's Paul's prayer. I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. That, here's the prayer. This is what he's asking. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him. 
having the eyes of your hearts enlightened. And so he's saying, I want your hearts to be enlightened, that he give you wisdom and revelation. And here's what he's asking for. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you might know, one, what is the hope to which he has called you. Two, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. And then three, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe. According to the working of His great might, when, verse 20, that He worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly places. And we just think about Hebrews as we say often, our high priest has passed through where? The heavens. Ephesians 4.14. When He raised Him, go back. When He raised Him from the dead, seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. And He has put all things under His feet and has given Him as head over all things to the church, which is His body, the fullness of Him who fills all in all. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, by the power of the Spirit who works in us, we pray in the name of Jesus to you, our Heavenly Father, that today these words would would work in our hearts. Father, as most of us here are Christians, not all of us, but most of us are, I pray that Father, by Your Spirit, You would work greatly in our hearts that we would know the hope of our calling and know what is our great inheritance and then to know the great power that works in us as we consider the resurrection of Christ. I pray that Jesus would increase, that I would decrease, that we would decrease. Father, in spite of me, I pray that You would work. Father, we humbly trust You and Your Word. Father, this morning, as we are sinners, but we come in the name of Jesus, knowing that our sins are covered, I pray that you would give us grace this morning. And those, Father, who are not Christians, who are listening, who actually hear, Father, I pray that you would give them ears to hear and eyes to see that they would look unto Christ. And also, this prayer be effective in their lives, that they might turn to Christ and be saved. Father, we give you this time, we give you this day, in Jesus' name, amen. So three truths again. Number one, resurrection is the key to our hope. That's number one. Number two, the resurrection is key to our inheritance. Three, the resurrection is the key to the great power that works in us. So number one, the resurrection brings life to our hope. I get this mainly, if you would, turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 1. And you can just keep it there because later on we'll look at that again. So the resurrection brings life or gives life to our hope. 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 3. Peter says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy... He has caused us to be born again to a what? A living hope. How? Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. 
So the resurrection gives life to our hope. So let's think for a moment about hope. It's that time of year again, and this time of year during the sermons, what I always talk about, garden, green beans, I hope God sends rain on my garden. Christmas comes in the year, kids, do you hope maybe you'll get some toys, some gifts, maybe you hope today that I'll preach for three hours. That's, that's, that's not good, probably. But hope is something we look, something there that we look forward to. But it's abstract. Though we can see the effects of hope, we cannot see hope in of itself. It's, 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 it's certainly attached to our feelings, of course. Something inside of us. Have you ever thought about the fact that God actually created hope for us? He created it. For us. It's the same as, as we look at faith. God created faith as that which you, unites us to Christ. It's, but you can't see it. You can only see the effects of it. You can't reach out and grab hold of things like hope or faith. And God created hope for us. And God doesn't need hope. Or, nor does He need faith. He doesn't need faith as we do or hope he sees all things as they are and all events come to pass as he determines God does not hope like we do for he knows all things and all he has is all that he ever will have and all that will happen is all that will ever happen from his from this perspective for he is God but hope is for us and like faith, one day hope and faith will cease. Because one day we will see Him as He is. And we will receive the promise. If, if you're tracking with me in Hebrews, that's where we're at. The promise of God to save. That's what we're holding on to. And so hope connects us to that. It's hope we have. And so one day we will not need hope again. Now, as I thought about this further, I wondered about the Garden of Eden, if we go way back to the Garden of Eden before the fall, before sin entered into this world. Was there a need for hope? You maybe have a better perspective on this than, than me, um, or you can help me think through that a little bit deeper, but I, I'm not sure that, in, that, at least in the way we consider hope, they, they didn't have hope. They didn't think of hope before sin came into the world. There was never a time when, before sin when Adam or Eve doubted whether their needs would be met or their longings be fulfilled. They did not wonder, will God leave us? Or will there be a time when He does not walk with us in the cool of the garden? There was no need for hope in this way before sin. But then we know the story. Adam and Eve sinned against God and everything changed. Their home, their world, their hearts, their relationship with their Creator. And from that moment, I believe in their minds there was, there was no hope. No possibility to have the things they had before the fall. No possibility. Only death and separation 
from God was all they could see or all they had because they knew God had said in the day that you eat of it, you will, you will die. You will surely die. But then, and we can never go to the depths of the mercy of God. Because really, that's, that's what we see here. The mercy of God. He comes to Adam and Eve and He brings Satan along as well. And He gives, He speaks to the man, He speaks to the woman, He speaks to Satan. And He gives the specifics of their punishment. And then in His mercy, as He speaks to Satan and gives Satan His punishment, He makes a promise. He introduces the reality we call hope, I believe. This is where we see hope come in with Adam and Eve as sinners. He says to the serpent, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Now in these words we find a promise. A promise that God will one day make things right again. This is the promise of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And belief, faith in this promise all of a sudden brings hope with Adam and Eve. You see, hope was given to sinful men and women that we might find what we were created for, which is to know God, to be with our Creator. Hope is given to us as we wait for God's promise to be saved one day. Hope is given to us. And all and we know as Christians, we, we know this hope is fulfilled in Christ. But Peter, when we come to this, these verses in First in Peter, Peter clarifies what real hope is and what gives life to our hope today. As we look forward to God fulfilling that promise one day ultimately save us. And he links the resurrection of Christ to our hope. When Jesus died on the cross, Satan bruised his heel. These are picture words. Looking back, we know God was primarily referring to Jesus' death. But when it speaks of the one of the woman who would be born that would crush his head... And he's speaking of the promise of the gospel in Christ in his death and his resurrection. Because Christ, when he died on the cross, he did not stay dead. He rose again. And Satan's head was, according to the scriptures I just read from Genesis 3.15, was bruised. His power was taken from him. So, so for us today, the bottom line is this. The resurrection of Christ gives life to our hope. He is alive today. He has conquered death. And so this means that my hope and your hope in God's promise to do what He says is not a dead hope. Because Jesus conquered death, so will I. So will you. Today it's easy to say these words as a preacher to preach on the resurrection. It could be the easiest preaching moment you can ever have because Jesus is risen from the dead. And if we go back and we read Acts and we read all the times they shared the gospel, everything would go along. And then when it got to the resurrection of the dead, that's where everything happened. That's where people said, I believe or I don't believe. And that's, that was the point. 
But today, because Jesus is seated at the right hand of the majesty on high, He is in the land of the living. And so will we be in the presence of God one day, one day. Though I could certainly preach, even from Sunday school this morning, the presence of God through the power of the Holy Spirit now. But I think of the story of Emmaus. Anybody remember the story? The two men, after Jesus had risen from the dead, and He had not appeared to them yet, and they were discouraged. And so two men were leaving. They had the Passover and everything that was going on in Jerusalem in those days. The death of Jesus. And off they go. To their back to their hometown. And so there they are walking from Jerusalem to this town of Emmaus. And you know what happened? You remember? Who appeared to these two men as they were walking down the road? Coolest thing ever. I love this story. And he appears to them and he says, Hey, what are you guys talking about on your way as you walk to Emmaus? <laughs> and one of them, I forget, but one of them says, Who are you? You don't know what has happened in the last days? They say, There was this man Jesus and he was great in power and in deed. And, and they, they crucified him. <laughs> and there, but, but if you read the... The text says Jesus hid himself from them so they didn't know who he was. And so they're like, who in the world are you that you would do this? And then, and then <laughs> he starts to speak to them and he goes back to the Old Testament and he starts to show them everything the Old Testament had to do with the death and resurrection of the Christ, of the Messiah and all of this. And, but I'm throwing all this in there, but before he came to them, can you imagine them going to the, down the road? What kind of hope do you think they had? Their Lord had just died. Now, they had heard rumors that, hey, he appeared to Peter and maybe to some of the other disciples, but they're like, what? They had not been convinced of that yet. That was just a rumor. And what do you think happened to their hope? It was gone because... Here's what they said. We had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. That's what they told this man. That's what they told Jesus. We had hoped he was the one, and there he was standing with them. As Adam and Eve hoped for the presence of God one day to come back, so these men hoped for Israel's salvation. But with Jesus' death, again, their hope was gone. But then, do you remember what happened? <laughs> they go back, and they get home, and they're coming into the town, and Jesus appears, or the story says he wants to keep on going. Of course, he knew what was going to happen. But what did they ask him to do? You come with us. There's some disciples here. You come with us. And so they go into the room there, and they start to eat. And when they're breaking the bread and drinking the, the juice... What happens? Jesus reveals himself to them as risen from the dead. What do you think happened to their hope? Well, they, they were amazed. Now, I mean, I can't, I, I can't put into to words how excited they must have been, but now their hope is gone, and all of a sudden, with the resurrection of the dead, their hope is back. And so, do you remember what they did after that? 
They hightailed it back down to Jerusalem as fast as they could get there to go and tell. And then we find out later that they already knew down in Jerusalem. But he, they go back and their hope is revived. Now, an implication here for us. Implication is that the world has no hope outside of the resurrection of Christ. Why? Because it's a dead hope. And it's really no hope at all. If there is no belief in the resurrection, the world hopes in many things, but their hopes will end in death, for the wages of sin is death. Today, our hope is alive because Jesus is risen from the dead. And only those who have been born again, only those who have had the eyes of their hearts enlightened, as Paul prays here in Ephesians, only those who have believed in the Lord Jesus Christ have this hope. So all the more that we, as Christians, should be about telling the world about this hope that we have in Christ. An application for us as well. Since our hope is alive today through the resurrection of Christ, we are able to press on in this life. We are able to go through the trials and tribulations that will come our way because our hope is alive. He has passed through the heavens. He is seated at the right hand of God until all of God's enemies be made His footstool. This is the context, really, of 1 Peter. Those Christians were possibly living as human torches in Nero's gardens at that time. Those to whom Peter was writing to. They were being persecuted greatly. They were losing their lives for the faith. And we see that in the book of Hebrews. Their property was being plundered and taken away from them. They had no rights, often as citizens. But Jesus was risen. Jesus is risen today. Their hope and our hope is alive today because Jesus is alive. And because of this, we can press on. So Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus, brings life to our hope. That's number one. Number two, the resurrection secures our inheritance. The second part of Paul's prayer for the Ephesians is that they will know His glorious inheritance. Now, personally, in that text, Ephesians 1, I believe he's speaking about the people of God being the inheritance of God. However, I think it has a double meaning there. It, I think it does speak of our inheritance, that we might know what is our inheritance. And brothers and sisters, we have an inheritance waiting for us. It's not the inheritance of a car or house or money or estate or, any, or an island or power in this world. Our inheritance is laid up in heaven and we are waiting for it, for sure. And the resurrection of Christ secures this inheritance. It is anchored there because Christ has risen and He has ascended on high. In the Old Testament, as we're thinking about the Old Testament a lot in Hebrews, God promised Abraham and all of his descendants that He would give them the land of, remember? The land of Canaan, flowing with milk and honey. I'll give you this land, Abraham, you and your descendants. And through the years, 
as we see that fulfilled ultimately there in, with the conquest of the land after Joshua. They get the land. And through the years of Israel's early history, both in Egypt and in the desert, they look forward to that day when it finally was given to them. And it was a great motivation for them to move on, to press on in their struggles. And after Joshua and the armies of Israel crossed the Jordan River, they conquered and God gave them the land. And as we move forward, under Solomon, we see a unified kingdom living peacefully in that land, in their inheritance. But you know what? That land was not permanent. It was an earthly inheritance that one day will pass away. We must always, when we come to the Old Testament, we must always remember this. We, we must always remember that that land and other promises were all fulfilled at that time, but they are all pictures of the ultimate fulfillment of heaven. They always pointed to another inheritance, a real and lasting inheritance in heaven. In that time, those who had faith, they, they looked forward to the inheritance that was to come. Think about their land. There was no lasting security. Even as I'm reading through right now in, in, in Joshua and in Judges, they didn't drive out all the inhabitants, though God gave them all the land. And the Bible says that promise was fulfilled, but there were still those to be driven out. And there were still those who were harassing them throughout the years. Because that land was full of sin and death and struggle. Yes, God made that fulfillment, but yet it points to the ultimate fulfillment. Now, look back with me at 1 Peter. And as, you, as you're looking back there, and we think, you're turning there, and we think back to what I'm talking about with the, the land in Israel, they were, there was always something else to be conquered or one, even, I don't know, I was talking with Larry this morning, how, how, just how we think when we're younger, there's this utopia coming that we might just overcome this one sin, especially when we're young. Oh, and God's going to just give us great victory. Well, He will, but then the next thing you know, there's two more to replace that. And then the older you get, the more you go, oh, how mistaken I was in my younger years to think that I'm just going to get over that next and those of you who are oldest in our, in our group, especially, I'm thinking of myself, but just thinking, wow, through all the years, life has actually become more difficult. There's more and more things to, to be conquered. So we think back to Israel, the land still, all of those things yet to come as they were looking forward. But there's more things. I, I, I often think of my dad, you know, you know, he passed away in December, but... He would often say, John, you, you, you think it's just going to get better, but yet you, you, you're born and then you live and then you go off to college and then you move to Mexico and then uh, you think maybe he's going to come home and be here and everything's going to get easier. No, then they get married and then they move off to Africa. Then they move off to Russia. And you know how that goes. And those of you who are older and have grandchildren know, wow, that it just multiplies. There's so much to be conquered in this life. 
With that in mind, look at 1 Peter again. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He's caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To what? An inheritance. Now stop for a second. Peter links our inheritance with the resurrection. Then he adds something very important about the resurrection and what it does for our inheritance. He says, to an inheritance that is, in the ESV here, imperishable, undefiled, unfading, and kept in heaven for you. See, in this life, there's always something else to conquer. The Old Testament, always something coming never was right, but with the resurrection of Jesus, who is now ascended into heaven, He has fixed our inheritance. It's imperishable, it's undefiled, it's unfading, and it's kept in heaven. Does this sound like the promise of an earthly land in the Old Testament? Do you see the difference? You see, what is earthly is earthly. And it will pass away. But what is heavenly will not pass away. God is the King of heaven and He is the owner and sustainer of all things. And who He is and certainly what He owns is secure in heaven. And if we go there, He will hold nothing back for us. But He will do good to us for all eternity. But... Here we are today, brothers and sisters. We need help. We're on the earth. But our inheritance, where's it at? Is it in the land? Is it in our house? Is it in our things of this earth? No, it is there. It's in heaven. And not only are we on the earth, we are also sinners. We will die one day. For the wages of sin is death. And our separation from God, in other words... Left to ourselves, there will be no hope. There will be no inheritance. In order to get to heaven, where our inheritance awaits, something must happen. We need transport. Often think of Star Trek, just beam me up. Well, it's going to be, maybe not quite like that, but there will be transport one day. We need someone, though, to take us to heaven. This is why Jesus came. I think of John chapter 14. Listen to these words for us this morning as we think about our inheritance in heaven. This is part of our application. John 14, starting verse 1. He says, here we are, Jesus speaking to us today. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am you may also be with me. And you know where I'm going. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, famous words, John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me, saying, I am the way, the truth, the life. You see, when Jesus dies, 
And when He died on the cross, He bore our sins. He is our sacrifice. He took the wrath of God that John Sherrill deserves, that you deserve, upon Himself. He atoned. If you are a Christian today, He atoned for your sins. He covered them. But, if all we preached was the death of Christ, where would we stop? Where would we stay? Where would we be? We need someone to get us there. To heaven. Yes, He covers our sins. But we need someone to get us to heaven. So we cannot stop with His death. Why? Because simply, a perfect, holy death, in and of itself, is not enough to take us to heaven. Why? Well, that's that's an answer I hope we're getting easily. But Jesus did not stay dead. After he died three days later, what did he do? He rose from the dead. He conquered death. He rose again, victorious. And in his death and his resurrection, he conquered all sin and all death. He conquered all the enemies of God. And because of this, there is lasting peace. Both in our hearts now and forevermore. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Ephesians 2.6 also. He raised us up with Him and He seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ so that in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace and His kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Today, the resurrection for us is the fulfillment of God's promise to give us our inheritance. For Christ, though He descended to the earth, after His death and resurrection, He ascended back to heaven where He sits and He has secured our inheritance forever. That's number two. Finally this morning, the resurrection is the power of God to save. So Paul was praying for the Ephesians that they would know the hope of their calling. was one. They would know the the, the, the How great is their inheritance? That's two. And then finally, he wants them to know that God saves. And his his saving, he wants them to know his saving power. And so, with that in mind, the resurrection is the power of God to save. I'm not going to say a lot here this morning. But look there with, back with me at Ephesians 1. He prayed... They might know what is the immeasurable greatness of His power. Verse 18 and 19 here particularly. Towards us who believe, according to the working of His great might. This is the power of God to save. But notice how He accomplishes this in verse 20. That He worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly places. Brothers and sisters, the resurrection of Christ is God's stamp. It's God's stamp of approval on everything that He has done to make His to fulfill His promise back in the Garden of Eden. Um, I'm going to tell a story I've told probably a couple times, but my kids get on me. If you're older and you're, you're a dad, I would fit right into the dad jokes for sure. 
And you, don't worry, guys, y'all are going to fit right there too. And so will all of you who have dads. But I've told this story before. And so if you've heard it, you just have to bear with me. But I think it's, it's a good picture of God's stamp of approval. Many of you know we lived in Russia for many years. And the bureaucracy of doing anything was, was just lengthy and hard and difficult. And you had to do this and that. But I remember getting our car registered, which was... At the end of the day, it was just the, the mercy of God upon me to get our car registered. But me and my buddy, who was living there as well, he had to have the same process. And here we just, you know, you go down, you, you get it inspected, pay your, you know, whatever for the emissions test. Then you go over and you pay your taxes, and they give you the stamp, you, a little sticker, and you stick it on the back of your car. Well, that's not too hard. Maybe you have to wait in a line now, but that's about it. But there... We had to go to one doctor to get our eyes checked to make sure we're not, we can see and drive a car, which is important, I guess, and to make sure that we're not colorblind. I don't know what they do, because how many of us guys are colorblind, probably? About a third of us? I don't know. But because I spoke the local language there, the lady saw that I was colorblind, and she was saying, yep, oh, you're looking at those pictures. She's like, I think it's this. Oh, yeah, it's that. I think it's this. Oh, yes. Yeah, so I answered all the questions with her help. So then she puts her stamp. <clears throat> then we had to go to a psychiatrist to make sure that we were not crazy. Because crazy people can't drive cars in Russia, for sure. Then, and that was across town. Then we had to go get our hearing checked. Because you've got to be able to hear in order to drive a car. Then we had to have a detailed physical and then, after that, criminal record check. You can't be a criminal and drive a car. It's, anyway, <clears throat> so we had to go down and to the police station and have, our, have this check. But in between all those times, you had to pay for every one of those. But you can't pay for it on site. So you've got to take a piece of paper they give you and go to the bank. Fill it out there. And then the bank has another piece of paper you've got to fill out. And then you fill that out. Then you go back, and then what do they do? At each one of those points, they give you the stamp, stamp of approval. Because in Russia, the stamp is everything. And I think it's, it's probably becoming more and more so here in the States as well. But then, after all of that, and this was a, this was a couple days process. This was probably a three days process. Which, by the way, was great for learning language and culture and all those things. And just, just to laugh through it. It, it was great fun. <laughs> and so... At the very end of that, though, we had to go back to the, the hospital where we got our eyes checked, and we had to go see the main doctor. And the main doctor then gives you the big stamp, the stamp of approval that goes, you not only had to have all of those, but then you had to have that main stamp of approval. And so I remember getting that stamp and thinking, wow, that's over for the next, I don't know, it's good, like three years before we had to do something like that again. But I tell that story because... I needed that stamp of approval over all of that. But that one doctor, in much of the same way, the resurrection of Christ is the stamp of God's approval on the work of the Son and on everything that He has done to fulfill His promise to us in Christ. Today, the resurrection is the power of God to save there is no final salvation 
without the resurrection. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 17. Paul tells the Corinthians and us, if Christ has not been raised, you know the answer to this, your faith is futile. We, we could say your hope is futile. And you are still in your sin. So if folks are not believing in the death and resurrection of Christ, then where are their sins? They're still bearing them. The wages of sin is death. 1 Corinthians 15, 14. If Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain. And your faith is in vain. So, brothers and sisters, if Christ is not risen from the dead, then all this preaching I've been doing for 14 years and all the preaching we've heard, it's of, it's of no use. There, there is certainly no hope. There's no guarantee that we have a resurrection, I mean that we have an inheritance in heaven. And there is no stamp of approval on God's power or God's ability to keep His promise if there is no resurrection from the dead. Romans 4.25 He, speaking of Christ, He was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. If Christ is not raised, His work of salvation has no essential power. So the world thinks that they're just going to maybe be saved as they do works and outweigh the good works. The good works will outweigh the bad. Well, where's the power in that? That's what the world thinks. If Christ is not raised, there is no essential power. There is no atonement. There is no life. If He is not raised, there is no, no application, no stamp of approval on His death. There is no final victory for anyone. Romans 8.34 Who is to condemn Christ Jesus is the one who died. <clears throat> More than that, He was raised, and now He is seated at the right hand of God, where indeed He is interceding for us. So today, the resurrection is Christ's power to save. Without it, there is no power that can effectively save us from our sins, and there is no power to live godly. Do you wonder? Well, we're thinking about being saved, by, but by way of application... What is the essential power that you live godly in this life? Where, where's Mary at? Mary, we're talking this morning. Mary's in Sunday school, and she says, talking about Walmart. And I went in there, went back in there, because I didn't get charged, and I should have got charged. And she said, the Holy Spirit told me to go back in there. That's a good example of this right here. What makes, what secures it? What is the power to do that in the right motive? See, we might do, do, the world might do that, go back into Walmart and pay for something they didn't pay for. They'll just go, because I'm doing my good deed. I'm outweighing the good with the bad. Or, you know, that's the right thing to do because society tells us. But Mary went and did that because it was the right thing to do because God had told her to do that. Because we know that's what the Bible says. So that's a really good example of the work of the power of God in our lives. And this comes only because Jesus is risen from the dead. Today, the resurrection of Christ is God's power to save. <laughs> and so, this is what Paul prays for in Ephesians 1. That we will know the power of God's salvation through the resurrection. And so today, the resurrection makes our hope alive. 
The resurrection secures our inheritance. Three, the resurrection is God's power to save. So with these things in mind this morning, as I close this down, what do we have to fear as Christians? They plunder our property. They'll put us in prison. They'll take away certain rights that we have. Even ultimately kill us. What do the disciples earlier on say? We don't, we don't fear the one who, who, who can kill the body. We fear the one who has the power to throw our soul into hell. Very clearly. What do we have to fear as Christians? If you're sitting here this morning and you, you've always believed, but yet this is not your experience, that you fear, maybe you fear everything in life. You worry about everything. You're anxious about everything. Maybe, maybe there's a connection there. Maybe you do not have the Holy Spirit. The same Spirit that worked in Christ who raised Him from the dead. Because I'm just saying, over a period of time, now we, again, we have days and we have weeks, but you know what I'm talking about. I pray this morning the Holy Spirit will convict you and you will look under Christ and be saved and know what this power is. But as Christians... What do we have to fear? Is there a sin that is too great that we cannot (laughs) trust God and His promises to save us and that our sins have fallen upon Christ? No. In repentance, when we come back to Him, He is there. He's there to save us. Is there a trial that is too difficult in this life for you? As we think about the resurrection today, whatever trial you're going through, and I can promise every one of us Even the children, if you press them on it, there's some trial. And some of them are really hard, really difficult with sickness, with death, with emotional issues. You name it. And there's seasons. Sometimes we're we're up. Sometimes we're down. But the trials and the persecutions will come. Is there a trial that is too difficult for us, knowing that our hope is there in heaven, our inheritance is there in heaven, and the power of God working in our lives to move us down the road, sweep us from Sunday school, sweep us down the road to heaven. Is there anything too great? Let me ask, is there an enemy who can take your soul and snatch you out of God's hand? Even as we've been preaching on assurance for the past few weeks in Hebrews. No. When you preach the gospel, when you go outside of this place and you preach the gospel, is there any weapon that will prosper against the preaching of the gospel to accomplish what God has? He's foreordained, He's preordained it, and He's said it will happen. His promise will go forth that the ends of the earth will be saved. Is there anything that can go against us preaching the gospel that God will not do that and bring about His people from the ends of the earth one day? Of course not. Is there anything in this world that you will not do for the one who holds your inheritance securely in heaven. And even this morning in Sunday school, I wanted to bring up grieving the Holy Spirit. Boy, we could talk about that a lot, but is there anything, when we think about this, that we're not willing and able in our hearts to say, "Whatever, whatever you desire, Lord, for me and for my life, and whatever way you want me to obey you, that is what I'm going to do. Today, Jesus is risen from the dead, and this is good news for us. As we, this is the greatest news ever as we go out of this place. Let's pray together.
Our Heavenly Father, we give thanks again for these words. Father, I pray that if something was said that was not of You, that You would help us to forget Him and not remember. But Father, those things that were from Your Word, that were, that were true, Father, by Your Spirit, may You work. Pray that Christians would be greatly encouraged today. I know I am. I know that Christ will hold me fast. And I give thanks. And for non-Christians, I pray that You'd work greatly that they would turn and look unto Christ and be saved. Father, I pray this prayer for us this morning that we might know what is the hope of our calling, what is our great inheritance, and finally, what is the great power that works in us, namely the power that rose Christ from the dead. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Grace Baptist Church podcast. You can listen to past sermons at podbean.com. Search Grace Baptist Church, China Grove to find us. You can also find us on Apple Podcast. Search Grace Baptist Church, China Grove. You can also join us at the South Row Inn YMCA, 950 Kimball Road, China Grove, North Carolina. We meet on Sunday mornings at 930 for fellowship and service starts at 10. Thank you for listening and remember to be intentional in making disciples this week.